the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Season Watch with Wendy Scott, where we observe the things coming on the earth through biblical binoculars, because the Bible is both timely and timeless. With her master's degree in rhetoric and writing skills, Wendy is a part-time college professor, but a full-time truth professor. She believes the Word of God is His perfect revelation, including a young earth six-day creation, as well as the global flood inundation, and that Israel is God's chosen nation. Faith alone in Jesus is salvation. The true church rapture comes pre-tribulation, followed by Christ's millennial domination and his eternal kingdom with earth's regeneration. Jesus is coming without hesitation. And now, here's Wendy with today's topic. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining me today with Season Watch. And I just want to begin with prayer. Lord, we just, uh, we pray for our city. We pray for our nation, of course. um, But we pray for those who are lost, who are hurting, who are stress, who are um, just feeling under the pressure, God. We pray for those who don't know you, and we pray that you help us to find them. You left the 99 to find the lost sheep. And so if, you, if there's a lost sheep out there, God, cause them to seek you out and to receive you. And we just want to be part of your work, God, for your kingdom and for your son's glory. So please anoint us for this time and this place and that we can help glorify you, God, as the time is short, and we just love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, I hope that you're having a great summer. I hope that God's blessing you. I hope you're getting away and doing something fun. You have to, right? God invented the Sabbath, right? So we we can't work too much. We can't work too hard, and um, just consider, pray about it, that you get a Sabbath, that you get a time out, a time of refreshing, right? Everybody loves Psalm 23, and it talks about, he leads me beside still waters, right? He leads me into pastures. He lays me down beside still waters. He restores my soul, and we need to restore our soul in him, and I ask you to ask him, to find a way to do that, to help you to do that. Um, I've been enjoying the weather lately in San Diego. It looks like the powers of be have decided to go ahead and let us have some sun and uh, some great temperatures in San Diego City right now. And, of course, um, we know that the world is full of darkness at this time, and then we wonder why they're destroying the world. We've been talking so much about these people who want to take over the world, and they seem like they want to destroy every good thing that God made. And I think sometimes, are these people nuts? Why would they want to destroy everything around them, everything that's working and everything that has so much goodness in it? And then I realized that they've made a deal with the devil, and they believe that they will be spared in the promise of Satan's utopia without God, without Jesus, and without his followers, right? Because they're going to, Jesus is going to take us out. And so just as described in Isaiah 28, 14 through 19, it says, Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule over these people. Because you've said we've made a covenant with death, and with hell we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, 
a sure foundation. That's Jesus. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. The hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow their hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with hell will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. And so we have to remember as we see the darkness, there's a promise of God's justice and judgment. And so we have to walk in this time. You know, our home is not here. Our home's in eternity with uh, in the kingdom of God. And so we know that this world belongs to Jesus, but this is the time when we see the powers of darkness have their day. As we see in 1 John five eighteen through 20, it says, We know that whosoever is born of God sins not. But he that is begotten of God keeps himself, and that wicked one touches him not. Right. So we're we're taught to keep ourselves, to be watchful, to mind over our own thoughts, our our actions, and our lifestyles. Right. To keep them aligned with God, and it it keeps the wicked one away. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in wickedness. This is what John said way back then, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. And, of course, Jesus is God. Let's not forget that it's all over the Bible. We can't miss it. And so our hope is that in spite of the darkness, we put our eyes on Jesus. And so we must wake up and battle the spiritual darkness all around us. We're so acclimated to living in a dark world that we fail to understand the subtleties of the enemy's attacks. And have you ever, have you gone to see The Sound of Freedom yet? I know a lot of people are talking about it with Jim Caviezel. This is an excellent movie. And of course, it has such a box office hit that even the um, the media is finally talking about it. And that's the goal is to get people, they have to pay attention to it because the box office receipts. And so, you know, it's a story about, true story about the child sex trade. And it's an excellent and timely revelation of these wicked practices now erupting to the surface all around us. And we have to pay attention to these things. We just, we're getting so used to being bombarded with these things happening that we just kind of pass over them. And we can't do that. It's a sign of what's going on right now. And I urge you to go see it as the popularity has forced the discussion. Did you notice how subtly the mouthpiece media has undermined the revelations of this movie by saying that this just doesn't exist? And they're calling it a QAnon conspiracy. Can you believe that? And friends, whenever someone who doesn't really know anything couldn't possibly be able to tell you that something doesn't exist at all, I mean, by what authority, and that you're a conspiracy theorist, whenever you hear that, that means you've discovered the truth, and they don't want you to challenge it, right? And Because all the evidence reveals that child sex trade is not only exploding, but that the elites are the ones who want to normalize it. And we have to understand that this is this has been such an egregious a crime in the past. Nobody ever thought that this was acceptable, and yet we're starting to see the normalization. That's a sign of where we are. That's why we need to wake up. And we want to ask, why didn't the Epstein's clients get charged, right? Just Epstein, <laughs> because they're the elites. They're the leaders. Why is the UN calling? UN is calling for decriminalization of child rape because they want to normalize these dark satanic practices. And why did this administration announce uh, that they welcomed unaccompanied minors through the now open border when they came into office? And why do they deny that these traffickers are the ones bringing in the little children? And so 
Why are the biggest, most elite companies blatantly flirting with child porn and sexual mutilation of little children? Why are the DAs around the United States releasing convicted child rapists and legislators actually trying to give minors the right to consent, little children the right to consent to these things? And so, friends, it is a conspiracy. It's just it's not a theory. People don't know because they don't want to know. And I had a friend the other day comment that it's getting like the days of Noah and that like the days of Lot, which Jesus described, would be happening in the last days and with this open evil continually, right? And I agreed, but I added, <laughs> we're actually there now, and we just don't realize it. Why? Because look at how Lot and his family lived in Sodom. As Peter, Second Peter 2 describes that he was vexed every day by that filthy lifestyle. Yet Lot remained. He stayed there, and he built up a tolerance to it, right? And he still thought that there was hope until the angels came, right? And it wasn't until that moment when the men of the city could no longer refrain uh, what they had been practicing in secret, and they wanted it out in the open. And uh, they surrounded Lot's house to rape the angels. They were mad with their wickedness and had to defile them. I mean, that's outrageous. And it was just bursting at the seams. And until that moment... I don't think Lot really understood how bad it was just beneath the surface. And so it's clear these child rapists want to bust out. They want to be in charge, and they're trying to get it out in the open. And while we slowly acclimate to these horrors, Jesus is just going to show up one day and grab us by the hand and take us out of this world to judge his wickedness, just like he did with Lot. I think he was not expecting it that day. And that day it came. And when I think of the suffering children, forgotten, unwanted, and the women and all the weak in the world that we turn our eyes from seeing, all the oppressed around the world tormented for the insatiable wickedness, when I think about all of this, I want him to come soon and rescue them. And don't you? And so, friends, you might think things are normal, but they're not. The power of darkness is engulfing this world in its web. And the sinister nature of spider webs is that the world appears unchanged if you don't look closely enough to see that gossamer trap covering everything until it's too late. And so, friends, although we shall escape the coming judgment of the Lord, we shall not escape Jesus' instructions to fight the good fight, as Paul said, until he comes. We must not fall into the traps of the wicked one. And we should be found, we should not be found on the sideline when Jesus comes for us. And so, friends, fasten your truth pelts as today we talk about preparing for spiritual battle, escaping the snare of pride. And so, the past several episodes, we've been discussing how to prepare for spiritual battle through praise and worship, prayer, and studying the promises in the Word of God. And we must know God and His character so that the truth can set us free, right? The truth does no good sitting in a closed book on their end table, but it must be implemented in the hearts and minds ready to help us defend against the fiery darts of the wicked one, right? And so we've been talking about the kind of wounds that we might receive to take us out of our assignment and sideline us on the battlefield. And the ones that we're focusing are a wound of fear, and which we talked about last time, a wound of shame, a wound of offense, a wound of discouragement and a wound of doubt. And while there's many things that attack our minds and even our lives, most of them fall into these areas. But it's certainly good to study any area that you realize makes you vulnerable or that you have struggle or that you battle. And so today we're going to look at the spectrum of pride. And on one end, there's shame. And on the other end, there is offense. 
And as we see, both threaten to take us out when events cause us to measure ourselves and our value. But strangely, they are the same problem focusing on ourselves rather than God. And as we see, this world is full of pride and has no shame. Shame can be good if it brings us to God, and that's the rightful use of it, right? I used to have a friend in college, and she didn't believe in God, so her whole lens on life was where she stood in the world. And she used to suffer from what we call low self-esteem, right? And I always had to build her up. And then one day I was listening to her, to her talk about being disappointed in herself for not doing better on something, and that made her feel low again. And suddenly I felt like God showed me something. So I asked her, why are you so disappointed in yourself? And she was baffled. She said, well, I should have done better. And I said, yeah, but look at you. You're at the top of your class. You're really smart. You're going into the academic field. You're doing way better than most people. And then she said, yeah, but I should be doing better. And I looked at her and I asked, why? Who are you to be better than other people? And that really surprised her. She didn't know how to answer. And that's a good question to ask. Why do we, why do we think we should be better than other people? I think we don't realize what that means. And, um, and as, as that day, I, after that day, I realized that Satan uses shame to single us out and to tell us we're not worthy. Yet we are not really worthy. It's true. We shouldn't be surprised when we blow it sometimes or fall or don't meet our own expectations, right? We're humans, and we all fall short of the glory of God, even after we're saved. Of course we do. Now, does that mean that we should not hold ourselves to a high standard? No. I mean, shame helps us to recognize something that we need to grow in, that we need to address, that we need to change, but we don't hang on to it. It just means that we shouldn't be surprised when we do blow it. Why? Because if Satan can get us stuck on the hamster wheel of shame, then we won't move forward, right? But if we can quickly recognize the trap we've fallen into, then we can get to work through our training to get out, right? That's why we need to practice getting out of these traps. And that means accepting that we are flawed humans and admitting that to ourselves that we sometimes fail, right? We didn't surprise God. We just surprised us. He knew this was coming. And just like a dad, he watches to see how we'll recover, shake it off, and get back on our feet, right? When I was in Jerusalem, and this is really what made me think about this, I was knocked off my plan when I found that the Orthodox Jews were being hostile and angry toward my desire to share the Messiah with them. Even though I've been to Israel before, I'd never encountered this. And as I said in the previous episodes, I had prepared pamphlets with only Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, believing that anyone with an open heart would understand how they pointed to Yeshua. I didn't even bring up Yeshua. I just printed the Old Testament prophecies. And I had handed out several during the trip until I got to the old city of Jerusalem. And as my friend and I were walking to the Western Wall, I handed some to young men that were just standing around. And then another man behind me rushed forward and sternly told them, don't take that. It's about Yeshua. And he was hot on my heels. And one of the young men that I'd handed it to ran after me and shoved the torn pamphlets at me and actually cursed. We don't want your blank Messiah, Yeshua. And he actually spit on the ground. And when he said Yeshua, I mean, isn't that terrible? And the other man kept chiding me and threatening that I was telling lies. And so the whole walk to the um, Western Wall, I couldn't even hand any out. And it was just really weird. And it wounded me, honestly. It knocked me off my plan. And I didn't have a backup. My brain froze in disbelief because I'd never encountered such hostility there. It was new, and 
I also found out later that it was getting worse, uh, both for Gentiles and Jewish Christians. But at that point, I just felt the shock of it. And after that, my heart searched for opportunities, but they felt shut down. It felt like nothing was going to happen. And I was still in shock. I couldn't move forward. And I even lost my peace. And when I did try to give them out, everybody refused. So my mind was still flooded with all those emotions, and I couldn't function or walk in my faith or my calling. It was so weird. And so I knew I was in trouble and that Satan was going to use this to take me out. I also knew that if I didn't put my finger on what had wounded me, I would just bury it, and it would always be holding me back. And so on the long flight home, I just decided I had to deal with it before we landed. And so I played worship music for hours, trying to take my thoughts captive. I finally turned my thoughts from me to God, and that was the first best move. And I worshiped him. I sang in my heart, and I played worship music. I worshiped him. And then I prayed to him for help and that he would show me what had wounded me and how I should deal with it. And I realized that it was shame, that I had had a game plan to share the gospel and felt humiliated at the hostility. And more importantly, that I actually had no plan to respond. And I hadn't been prepared to fight the battle on a spiritual level and was not ready to receive any revised orders from the Lord once it happened. My brain was just all befuddled. I couldn't even hear him. It was so weird. And so essentially I just sat down on the battlefield ashamed and confused. And so as I went through this process, I realized that the first step in healing my wound was to humble myself to the Lord. I was only ashamed because I expected to be better than that, right? I expected to be better prepared, to have a better response, or to pull myself together, but I hadn't done that, right? So I I was disappointed. I was mad at myself, right? And I realized I should not be surprised that I fell short. Who am I to think that I never will fall short, right? And so I realized that God had allowed it, so I would learn how to deal with my shame, and then I would figure out how to ninja out of it, right? not let it cling to me. And I had to bring it before him and lay it down at his feet and thank him that he is not surprised and that he can teach me how to deal with it, right? So I had to remember that my assignment hadn't actually changed. It shouldn't cause me to rethink my assignment, maybe just how I approach it, and that he would still use me and that now I could prepare better for next time. And that's what that process did. And I tell you, by the time I landed, I had peace. I still went back on the hamster wheel now and then, but I let God use it to teach me and not to wound me. So I was able to dress my wounds and get ready for the next battle. And that's what I I learned a lot. And that's how we must take shame captive, right? So we could be ashamed for so many reasons. Maybe we could relapse with sin or bad habits or that we failed other people or maybe we hurt them. Maybe we failed an expectation of ourselves, something that I should have done or something that I should not have done, right, Um, or I should have done better. Failure to make progress in an area that's plaguing me, right, so I could feel ashamed of that. Or not meeting the world standard for success and accomplishment. Lots of times Satan tries to bring us back to the world standard. It's like, look at you. You're supposed to follow God and you don't have any money and nobody, you know, you're nobody, blah, blah, blah. And we can't can't live up to the world standard because— We don't want to please the world, right? We have to live up to God's standard, and so we can't get trapped in that. And then uh, we could be ashamed because of being associated with something shameful or humiliating, which we actually see Jesus warning about. 
And then we could be ashamed of our past or where we came from. And so shame only takes us out when we fail to recognize that it's pride that brings shame and that it's our pride that causes us to feel shame and not be able to deal with that. Without pride, shame cannot cling to us, right? Um, So we fall into these traps with shame. We don't feel worthy. We're afraid of discovery, right? We can't face others, ourselves, or God with the truth. We want to hide and maybe even take ourselves out of the calling. And we beat ourselves mercilessly as if this atones for what we did. And yet it's Jesus who atoned for it, right? So you see the problem, how Satan Satan twists our thinking and gets us to beat ourselves up when really Jesus already paid for it, right? So that moment we can swallow our pride so that, God can set us free. If we can do that, he'll set us free. And just say, I'm not surprised I blew it because I'm such a human, right? That's a freeing declaration. <laughs> no no surprise here, all right? Um, and then we can take our eyes off ourselves and surrender it to God. And thank you, Jesus, that you're not surprised, that you that in spite of my failures, you've chosen me for a special purpose and that my assignment doesn't change because of my human frailty. And we thank you that you paid for all my sin. So we have to turn it over to him. And then we say, Lord, help restore me. Teach me what I need to learn. Strengthen me to go forward. Show me if there's anything I need to do to take the sting of shame from my heart so I can operate, right? Heal me so I can get back into your assignment, right? Take every thought captive. And think about how many times God's word reassures us not to be ashamed. That's why Jesus paid for our sin. That's the whole point, right? And it cost him dearly. We must receive it. So remember Peter's denial of Jesus. He warned Peter in Luke 22, starting in verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you shall deny me three times. And so we see this process that the Lord allows us to be tested and to experience trials that we will fail, actually, for our own growth. He didn't tell Peter, oh, you better not blow it. Um, He said that when you have returned to me, you can strengthen your brethren and see how the wound of shame separates us from God and isolates us, sends us into the dark of shame. And so Jesus paid a very costly price to remove shame out of the way. It's like spitting on the cross when we don't allow him to restore us. I mean, you don't want to do that, right? And so we think failure is the worst thing we can do, but that's the story of humanity. What's all failures? Great. Thank you for Jesus. Uh, Failing to receive forgiveness is actually the worst thing that we can do. And so God is not worried about our failures, but that we will receive his restoration. He allows us to fail so that we humble ourselves, learn from it, grow, and help others. And why was Peter so ashamed? Because the test did not come in the manner he was prepared for. Took him by surprise, and that's usually how it is. He said, I'm ready to go to prison and die for you. And he proved that when they came to take Jesus, he drew out his sword and struck one of the soldiers, right? Peter was ready to fight, but he was not ready to surrender. And then Jesus confused him by scolding him for fighting and healing the soldier when uh, then telling him, 
telling the soldiers to let them all go, and so they all ran. And when he tried to follow, follow Jesus' trial, he didn't have a game plan for the questions that he was going to be asked. He wasn't ready to answer those questions. He was confused and ashamed. And now he was scared, disoriented, and not walking in faith. But we see later in John 21 how Jesus restores Peter to ministry of being a shepherd of his sheep. Actually, Peter was promoted after going through the test. He had failed, right? But Jesus had to deal with Peter's pride first and allow him to be humbled in front of everyone. So you see, it's not the failure. It's how we humbly and eagerly seek him for restoration. That's where the power is. And failing is a requirement for growth. So as long as we let it teach us, right? And when we get promoted, it's because we've let him teach us. And we all have to have these battle experiences in order to help others. Remember Psalm 73, 26 to 28 says, My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Not in ourselves. We can't trust in ourselves. And if we're not trusting in ourselves, then we can't feel shame. And so in the next episode, we're going to discuss how shame and offense are the two sides of pride. And friends, if you don't know Jesus, I just want to remind you now, he loves you so much. He gave everything for you. He wants you to come to him, to return to him. Let him heal you. Let him restore you. Let him bring you into the kingdom. He is worthy. And until next time, friends, God bless you all. Join Wendy Scott every Saturday at 3 p.m. on K-Praise for another episode of Season Watch. Previous episodes can be found through the K-Praise podcast platform, where you can also access Wendy's other platforms and contact links. Please email Wendy with show comments, questions, or suggestions at wscott at mywordsforhim.com or visit her website at mywordsforhim.com for additional resources. Watch other teachings on her Rumble channel. Wendy's Words for Him, her fiction novel, The Lost, A Story of Christmas, can be found on Amazon. Until next week, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.